0: For me, it meant like college, I kind of just agreed to do a major that I had no idea about. And I mean, it's cool now because I understand the politics a little <laughs> bit better, but I didn't need to do that. I could have chosen a completely different major and still been able to get into law school.
1: Hi, standouts. This is Yolanda, and in today's episode, I am exploring the career path of Heidi Vaccarano, who is an entertainment attorney here in Los Angeles, and she is also the managing director of Girls in Tech LA. We explore her non-traditional path to becoming an attorney, which was very fascinating to me. She was very clear at a very young age that she wanted to be an attorney, but the way that she got there is a little bit different than the way that I perceived that people approach law school. So I think you'll really enjoy that. We also discussed how she got involved in Girls in Tech LA and the tech scene in general in Los Angeles, um, which I think will be very important for anyone who is looking to make a industry or career change because she explains how she got into it so I think that'll be very valuable for you guys for links to the things that we discuss in this episode go to nts.today forward slash eight and now let's start the show
0: my name is Heidi Vaccarano. I have a law firm called Vaccarano Law, and it's myself and my associate. I'm also the managing director of Girls in Tech, the Los Angeles chapter. And Girls in Tech is a global nonprofit organization that educates, engages, and empowers women in technology.
2: So we are going to step back a lot, <laughs> not to birth, but I want to learn a little bit about you. So where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Orange County in a small town called Cyprus um, from immigrant parents. I am the first generation to go to college, so I definitely had, I don't even know if I knew it was pressure, but I definitely had a mom behind me that was like, you need to do well in school, you need to pick a career, not a job, and so early on, I just had that instilled in me, and I was probably the easiest child growing up, I loved school. I was the epitome of a nerd. I would love to get to school early. I befriended all the teachers. And it was just, I never had a problem with reading or writing or wanting to do homework. I was always
2: looking for more. Mm. So how did your family end up in Cyprus?
0: So um, my family's from Central America, from Guatemala. And they came here in the mid-1970s. Okay. Um, I have an older brother who was eight, and he uh, was born in Guatemala as well. So, when first my parents came, and um, they were, they lived in a small town called Buena Park, which is where Knott's Berry Farm is. So, that's close to where oh, Cypress yeah. is. Okay.
2: <laughs> uh, do you do the not scary farm and all no, that? Is it scary? I, no, I do not like
0: people <laughs> coming around the corner and like trying to scare me. That does not count.
2: And I'm also not going to pay
0: for that. I'm like, I already live in a scary enough world. <laughs>
2: Okay, mm-hmm. so you have a brother who is he? He's eight years older, older than, than you. Yeah. Okay, so how was that growing up? Um, Did you feel wartime, like more time? That is literally why I'm a lawyer.
0: <laughs> I will. I grew up. Um, we when we were first in Buena Park, we shared a room, mm-hmm. and he literally put a piece of tape in the middle of the room, like Brady Bunch style. <laughs> and told me I could not pass there so I somehow decided that the closet which the tape didn't run through was um, neutral territory (laughs) I went through there to get out so I feel like I've always been negotiating for my life
2: (laughs) so so funny I owe a lot
0: of credit to him (laughs) I always felt like I needed to negotiate something with my brother he when he would babysit me it would be like okay you do this and I'm like but if I do that then I get this so Mm -hmm. I felt like that was definitely where my skills came from.
2: Where did that come from in you? Um
0: I don't know I feel like I like early on I was like I know he's getting something out of this and I should too. (laughs) You're so, not the only one. Yeah, I was like, no, I see, I see your game.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know if I described it that way
2: when mm-hmm. I was younger,
0: but I'm like, but I should get something
2: too. <laughs> Very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, you're in Cyprus. Um, how was high school for you? Amazing. <laughs> Why was it <laughs> well, amazing? Now I look back and I think it's amazing. Well, so prior
0: to that, I had been in a public school, and in third grade, my teacher had told my mom that. I need she needed to take me out of there. I was too smart. And it it just wasn't challenging for me. Mm. And when things weren't challenging for me, I would just talk to my next the person next to me, I would like literally do their homework. And (laughs) um, because it's like, Oh, I'll help you. And then I would end up doing it. So from that moment on, my mom took me out of public school and put me into a private Catholic school.
2: Were you excited about the change, or was there no? Any- I was
0: sad and mad and like very bratty about it um, because I was losing all my friends. It was a whole new, whole new world of uniforms, of things I didn't know, of going to church uh, once a week as part of your school. I didn't mind that part because we grew up very religious, mm-hmm. um, but it was just like whole completely different and. It wasn't until, like, I made some friends that I felt more at home and, um, but I've always been a very, like, person who challenges things, so, like, I know one of the nuns did not, she, was not like she didn't like me, but I would always question her, so again, it was always something like that in me that I'm like, no, I don't think that's correct, like, in sixth grade, you would have 6A in regular sixth grade, and we sat in different benches at lunch. And you weren't allowed to talk to the other bench. Why? But there, I have no idea. It was just like the lunch ladies. What like was vendetta. the
2: – how were the groups determined? Um, it, I think it was
0: just based on, like, your last name, I guess. Okay. And But I had friends you in the other – You could talk. Guy. Well, it was just like the lunch table. So there would be, like um, – so imagine this is, a, or mm-hmm. this is a lunch table. You're on the other side. I could talk to you if we were in the same grade. But if I turned around and talked to this person, I would get in trouble. And I remember that they sent me to the principal's office and I was like, there is less space between me and the person behind me than there is between me and the person there. And they just like called my mom immediately and were like, you need to like come talk to your daughter. And I got, I never got detention for doing something like crazy, but it was that sort of stuff.
2: Okay. So you, this Catholic school, what grades did it go? How long did you go there? So,
0: um, so when we moved back to Cyprus, I went to there from sixth grade. Through eighth grade, and then I went to an all girls Catholic high school in
2: Fullerton called Rosary. Okay, and and was this the natural progression of most girls that went to your school, or why was
0: that the school? There, there's a couple different schools you could go to. Um, A lot of my friends at that time were going there, and it was mostly um, based off of that because we would all carpool. Okay, my. Um, One parent would take us in the morning, one parent would pick us up in the afternoon, because it was pretty far. It was like at least a 45-minute drive. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Okay. So you had like this community thing to make sure that you all got there exactly yeah so did that affect your ability to do like extracurricular activities actually no we
0: were all nerds and (laughs) I we would I now I look back and I'm like I don't know how I did that but I would get up at six o'clock in the morning get to school by seven to do to take journalism class and my friends and I were on the new we wrote for the newspaper mm-hmm. and then we could stay after school and take 7th period and take like a different science class or an art class and we would do that
2: and then our parents would pick us up. So, what was one of your favorite courses or activities that you did in high school? I loved French class.
0: It was my first time exploring a different language. Mm -hmm. I could obviously, I speak Spanish, and it was the first time that I got to say, like, no, I want to take a different language. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, um, instead of doing the normal having a quinceañera, my mom's always been very, like, explore the world, like, take your time, enjoy what you have. Mm -hmm. And I got to go uh, my sophomore year to France. Um, as part of a school trip. Oh, wow.
2: Oh, so your school was like, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, cool. I mean, it
0: was uh, one of the things that, like, keep my eye on the prize. Like, I'm a good kid. I get good grades. My mom will, and my parents will pay for this opportunity, mm-hmm. and it was the best
2: thing I'd ever done. <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, mm-hmm. like, my biggest trip in my in high school, I went to D.C. I think it was middle school I went oh. to D.C., or that may have been, like, my 10th mm-hmm. grade year. And then my ninth grade year, we went to Atlanta. That was, like, as far as we went. (laughs) And both of those places, you could take a bus because they were close enough. Because I grew up in North Carolina. So both of those were, like, five-hour drives. Mm -hmm. So it was not... Mm-hmm. i did not go anywhere where i needed a passport no.
0: Growing up in orange <laughs> county so our school trips were either you could go do that or like our regular field trips were disneyland so we were very lucky
2: too yeah okay so you have to tell me about this french trip i know it was i believe it was
0: it's spring break so mm-hmm. i think it was 10 days and it was a group of like 10 girls and our French teacher, and we just toured Paris, and it was amazing. I had never been outside of Cyprus, (laughs) so um, it was the coolest thing I'd ever done, and it just really instilled in me that the love of travel, the love for the French language, Mm -hmm. and I continued that through college and ended up getting a minor in French, too.
2: Uh Mm -hmm. Okay, is there something that you remember about the experience in France that still sticks with you now? Probably not as much that trip as it was so long ago, but mm-hmm.
0: when I later spent the semester at the Sorbonne in college, mm-hmm. that was definitely...
2: Okay, note yeah. to self, you we know to talk about that when we get to college. Yeah. Okay, so you are... Um, when you're in high school, what were your career thoughts, or what did you think you wanted to do with your life? So, like I said, I had
0: a mom right behind <laughs> me saying, "Pick a career, keep your grades up." I do remember I've always wanted to be a lawyer. Mostly, Why? I I think because they're one of it was one of the like more common careers that if like you have like an immigrant parent, they're like, "Well, be a teacher, be a lawyer, be a doctor," and I'm just like. The doc, I like cry too much. So it was one of those. I remember telling my mom at one point because I really love cooking that I wanted to be a chef. And she was like, "Mm, no, try again.
1: And I was like, "Okay, okay, cool.
0: And so now we laugh about it. I'm very like inquisitive, like even now in my career. I do a lot of different things under the umbrella of being a lawyer. So I feel like I would have explored things anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, But in college, I I mean, in high school, I definitely knew that my career path was to be a lawyer. So we had career counselors who were giving us advice towards that. My junior year, I did a law camp at Stanford. It was amazing. Um,
2: but what do you do at a law camp?
0: It was basically like my, my mock trial. Okay. I was also part of the mock trial team at school. And the one thing I don't like is public speaking or litigation or trial work. It's just like too nerve-wracking for me. Mm. I don't have that personality. I'm better one-on-one and kind of like recognizing the needs of a party that mm. way versus trial. The law camp was more of a traditional... Um, we each had we were working on a case we went to trial we had to do opening statements and stuff in front of a judge and I was more of like the legal researcher in the background because I just did not like that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I was lucky that I knew that there was other things I could do within the legal world that weren't necessarily trial work.
2: Oh something that you said that I wanted to ask about when you told your mom that you were thinking about being a chef and she was like, no, Mm -hmm. why was she like, no, she didn't. I'm sure
0: she doesn't think it's like a traditional career path or she didn't see me. She didn't see it as something that was going to lead me to stability. Okay.
2: So you graduate high school and you went straight to college at USC. Yes, exactly. And why did you pick USC? Funny story,
0: I had applied to Stanford, Berkeley, and USC, and I remember the career counselor telling me that maybe you should apply to a state school wow. as a fallback, and I was like- This is your oh, guidance counselor oh, at yeah. your school? Oh, yeah. Oh, I reported her. I was like, nope, you will not mess with me. Um, wow. Yeah, so um, I was like, No. Like, have you met my mom? That's not happening. Because mm-hmm. um, I think the one that she's, no no hate on the UCSD, but I think, like, it was, I was like, I deserve to go to these schools. I yeah. had really high SAT scores. I had a 4.3, and I spoke three different languages. I'm like, I think I can go to one of these colleges. I had that traditional path that was meant to go to one of these schools. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of work on my essays. I was, at that point, I had my first kind of real job, which was working at the church rectory. And I befriended one of the women there who would help me with my school essays. And Mm. it was a really great opportunity to kind of hone in on my writing skills. I just told the counselor no. And I ended up getting into USC and Berkeley. And with USC, with the combination of grants and scholarships, it was pretty much a full ride.
2: Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because that was my next question. Um, That's like a huge thing, especially with you going to Law school, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you right. got and grants for that, but I think most of the time you don't get money for law school. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, that was
0: what you to find out.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And at that point, um, my father had passed away my sophomore year of high school, so I also had wanted to stay close to home, so mm-hmm. it was definitely a much easier choice at that point.
2: Was your father's death unexpectedly sick yeah he died of a heart attack oh wow yeah how did that affect life before and after him because your brother is eight years older so I'm assuming that he's is he still around yeah he was we
0: all still lived together and it was a pretty scary sad story how we found out but at that point we became a really strong family unit Mm -hmm. and I knew that I didn't want to leave it really affected my mom because she had lost her father and mm-hmm. so she did not want us to go through the same. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: did she lose her father at a young age? as Yeah.
0: Well? Oh, okay. Yeah. So right. she kind of took it upon herself to like take on all that grief mm-hmm. and it was really hard so.
2: Did you see her doing that? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah it was really hard for a couple years so I knew it wasn't worth me going away mm-hmm. but again Fortuitously, I feel like USC was a great experience. Yeah. And it was close. I've always lived close to home. Like right now, I still live in LA and Orange County is about a 45 minute drive, so it's not bad. (laughs) If you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) On Sunday at 2 a.m. It's 45 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow.
1: So you go to USC, and did you immediately declare?
2: Political science and right, as yes. major? According okay. to that
1: guidance
0: counselor, political science is the most likely major to get you into law school. I had no idea what it meant, what it was. I was like, all right, I'll do what she says. Mm-hmm. Um, about two years in, I discovered that that was not necessary. How did you discover that? I met my former boss at an LSAT prep event. And she was wearing jeans, a t-shirt, and had bright red hair and cursed through the entire panel. And I was like, I want to do what she does. Oh. And it was the first time I had heard of music law. Hmm. So I went up to her, I waited, and I'm like, do you need an intern? And she gave me her card. And I went to interview a couple weeks later. And my dream had been to have a record label, get a JD and an MBA, and run The Saddle Creek of the West, which was a a record label that I loved all the artists and I loved their community, and so I wanted to recreate that with my friends Mm. over on the West Coast. So what was it about Saddle Creek that... It was was pretty much like indie emo rock. (laughs) And um, that's saying a lot about me. <laughs> um, but I love that it was all run by friends, and they mm-hmm. all worked with each other. They were like kind of rotated in each other's bands, mm-hmm. took each other on tour. Huh. So um, I love that ethos behind.
2: It. So were you musically? No, not a single, not a single instrument. <laughs> you like listening to other people, yeah, but <laughs>
0: not unless you count karaoke. <laughs> karaoke
2: is hard. Oh, it's fun though. Okay, so you were. Um, knew you wanted to do music law, Mm -hmm. so you were able to get connected with this lady that seemed like unconventional. Yes. An unconventional Mm -hmm. lawyer. Why do you think that you were able to, what she told you, did she interview multiple people or what do you think it was about you? I think
0: they did. At that point, um, I was about a year and a half in, right? And so I- Is
2: that- Early for people to start taking LSAT right. and yeah, but look. again, remember I have a
0: mom sitting right behind me. She's like, uh, "What are you doing? Why are you wasting?" I'm like, "I'm actually in school." Like, I tried to go home one summer and take the summer off, and she was like, "Funny, go get a job." <laughs> like, literally was like, "Go get." Worked at a small Jewish
2: bakery in my mm-hmm. town,
0: and she wouldn't even drive me to work. I had to
2: walk there. <laughs> What do you think was the driving force behind your mom being like super, like not pushing, but like good pushing, but yeah. just like always kind of like. I will say busy. that
0: it I, it sounds like pushing, but now as I look back, I had a supportive backing all the time. My mom would like, if I was there at zero period, she'd figure out for me how to be there. If I was going to be at seventh period, she'd wait in the parking lot until I was done. Mm-hmm. She would carry my backpack. She would, even when I took the bar, she came with me, and she would have my snacks ready, have my flashcards ready. I just felt like I always had an angel behind me.
2: Yeah. Oh, and it's hard because
0: awesome. you are interning. Was she in music
2: law? Yeah. So okay. the
0: firm had started off doing um, strictly music law.
2: It what does that involve?
0: So it's representing – so it's a transactional entertainment boutique law firm. So transactional means we don't do any of the litigation work, no trial work or anything like that. We're strictly negotiating and dealing with contracts all day long. Okay. So she had just opened her law firm and had come over with the state of Tupac Shakur. And it was her and two other, I guess they weren't attorneys at that time. They had been out of law school and they both had taken the February bar and the girl who had interviewed me didn't pass that bar so she had to go and take time off to study because you can only take it in February and I think it's July mm-hmm. of each year so she had to take time off so I had sure had to to she study to. it literally mm-hmm. takes like two months to study February
2: and July why wouldn't they like do like February and then like sometime in the fall I think because if you take it in
0: February, You find out in April, so then you have another chance to take it again. And then if you take it, if it's, I forget if it's June or July, if you take it that time period, you hear literally right before Thanksgiving. So then you have another time period to study. Okay. Okay. It takes a long time Uh, to to get results.
2: What percentage
0: pass it the first time? Not a lot. Hmm. Um, It's very hard. And recently there... When I took it, it was a three-day bar exam, which is one of the hardest. Um, and recently they changed it to two days, mm-hmm. I believe. It just started, um, but it's extremely difficult. <laughs> There's a median range you have to get mm-hmm. in order to be considered to pass. So if you pass, you never find out like how well you did. You only just find know,
2: you Yeah, you pass. You just okay. like, your
0: name is on the thing, I'm out of here, I'm, mm-hmm. I pass, yeah. If you don't pass, then you find out your scores in the separate um, components.
2: Uh, so then you know what you really need to focus exactly, on. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well I guess that's good because then you don't have people like holding it over your head like, Oh, whoa, well, I did really, right. really well. Right. Exactly. Because it doesn't matter what like, you freaking pass yeah. the exam. Yeah. Okay.
0: And that's why I just am not the type of person who is Like, oh, I went to a top five law school or I went to this. I didn't. I ended up actually taking the most untraditional route that I never thought I would, which was I stayed working full time and I went to school at night. Whoa. And I ended up going to Southwestern Law School Mm -hmm. here because it had a really strong emphasis on entertainment. And I looked at a lot of the professors, and they were the people who I was working with in the daytime.
2: Mm -hmm. And I knew there
0: was no better way to bridge those relationships, to learn, to ask questions that you traditionally don't get taught mm-hmm. until you're out of law school and working at a law firm.
2: Mm-hmm. I have one friend now who is working. She's te- She teaches during the day and she's at law school um, mm-hmm. in the evening. But that just seems really hard. <laughs> it, it was.
0: <laughs> I think I just closed my eyes and was like, <laughs> it's getting done. And I was having so much fun in the daytime working. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, when I first started, I was going to take a year off after I graduated from college. And I started to, and my boss went through like a series of like new attorneys and she just could not get along with. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'll do it. Like, let me have a chance. And she was like, you know how to do this. Like, please go to law school, stop wasting your time, we need to get you in so that I can start training you. Each step of the way, I made myself more valuable to her so that I could be, so I could keep learning and in a very untraditional way because there's nobody who gets that close to somebody and is taught like the tools of the trade along with getting to draft that early on into their law school career.
2: Yeah, so you were like, when you graduated law school you were probably miles ahead of people because you were like working yeah. doing the actual work yeah i of hit the, the ground
0: thing. running immediately was able to start um getting my own clients um which was mostly saying that it was like my boss liked one genre of music which was more pop um and like 80s hair metal, I think, or <laughs> is just not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved, again, like indie rock, and that was my thing for a, very, for a couple of years, especially out of law school.
2: Mm-hmm. So why were you thinking about taking a year off?
0: I'd never taken any time <laughs> off. I didn't know what that meant. And um, I did take some time off, probably just like that summer, and then took the LSAT and went back to school immediately in
2: 2005. Okay. And so when you were thinking about taking the year off, what did you think you would do with that year? I was going to continue exploring
0: the idea of getting, of having uh, the record label. Mm -hmm. So I had started a record label my junior year of college because I told my boss like what my dream was, and she was like, just do it now. You don't need an MBA. These people who run these plays don't even know what they're doing, so you can do it too. <laughs> I mean, in her own way, she's very supportive too. Yeah. And uh, she was like, we'll just handle the paperwork for you here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, awesome. So it was me and a couple other friends who were more on the music side. They were mm-hmm. producers, and they had been in the USC program, um, and they were required to do certain hours of work like either in the studio or engineering and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. between like the five of us we just created this label called television records and
2: and where did that name come from um
0: i think oh my god i don't even remember anymore but i think it was from there was a band called television and i think it's definitely i think it was a lot more like the guys in
2: that picture but i was like down for the ride (laughs) having the record label did you have acts or musicians?
0: Yes. So um, I was doing more of the business legal side. Okay. I had another friend who was more of the like marketing guru. And then um, my friend who is a producer, and I had a couple other friends who were already in bands. So out of that, we decided to take those bands and create a compilation. Our first compilation album was ah. five bands of our friends. And we ended up having our... Album release party at the Elliott Smith Memorial. What is that? And Silver Lake. It's where the wall is. Um, What wall? So it's an album that Elliott Smith did. And so he committed suicide. It is the album that Elliott Smith had. And there was a memorial to him in Silver Lake that was like a space, a music space.
2: Before he committed to no, or not afterwards. after yeah okay
0: yeah. so it's pretty famous it doesn't exist anymore but it back then it was like a famous like stop um, in the Silver Lake East Side area of LA because uh-huh. a lot of emerging acts were coming from that side of town mm-hmm. and um, for five dollars you could get in get a red solo cup <laughs> and we had kegs in the back and you got a copy of our compilation album
2: uh-huh.
0: which were all handmade. We had our friends come over for a weekend and spray painted them, and then used wow. a logo of a television that was like a cutout. Spray painted that on, and then we used the old um, label makers to mm-hmm. make the, the the tag on the name on it. Huh. So it's very DIY, like
2: the yeah. epitome
0: of that. And
2: so, but still, to see it go from like we're creating this label, and then we come up with this idea to bring all of these groups together to create a compilation album. And then even, do you still have one of this? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. And our first like promo thing. Back then I
0: was, it was still, I when my first job at the law firm had been listening to demos that people would send in <sighs> because um, I had been the first rise of, labels weren't taking any more um, unsolicited submissions mm-hmm. because of potential lawsuits and sample claims. So if you didn't have a manager, you would try to get a lawyer to represent you and shop your album around. Uh,
2: okay. So that was
0: my first job. How was that? Um, hilarious. <laughs> I've listened to a lot of music. I don't think that we ever, I don't think we ever really took anything on, but I would write the, the response letters to each and every one. So mm. that was just like a good experience. And listening to music, seeing what other people, what packaging was like, mm-hmm. materials, Noti- noticing those things helped me later on. Okay. How did it help you later on? So when I passed the bar, I took on a couple acts that were indies that had managers or didn't have managers, and we were looking to get them signed. So early on, I worked really heavy with the band that we ended up taking from, like, zero to becoming, like, a platinum record-selling artist. So I knew—I worked very closely with
2: management. I knew a lot more of the detail side— That you wouldn't if you were just an attorney. The acts that you did represent were those referral or did you seek them out or how did you, how did that happen? The first iteration
0: of clients that were mine, I was referred through a friend. I had just finished law school and they were looking for a lawyer. So I had a call with the manager and the band kind of like leader And then that turned into working more closely with that manager. And I ended up doing, uh, working with them very closely with their other acts too. From that, one person would refer me to another one and then another one. And then um, at the same time, I'm still working on artists from the law firm side. So I'm still working on the state of Tupac Shakur, working on huge clients. That that was my boss's thing. Like her Mm -hmm. goal was to really get... Build her list of A-list clientele.
2: Walk me through what your life looks like working there and going to law school because that's still like so. I my definitely
0: life. I would start work at nine thirty, leave at five to get into school by six p.m. was my mm-hmm. first class, and then you would have I think it's two classes per night. You go to, from six to ten. Mm-hmm. And then um, occasionally I would take a Friday off, <laughs> but the way that I had done my schedule was that I took actually Saturday morning classes, okay. which were more of the electives, which I loved anyways mm-hmm. because they were the non traditional. It wasn't in it to take wills and trusts. So um, <laughs> it worked out better for me. Like okay. if I wasn't. If I would leave at 5 and I didn't have class that night, I would use it to do homework. Mm. I loved it. It was really fun for me. There's nothing more peaceful for me than sitting down at a computer and, like, tearing an agreement apart and redlining it. Um, That was definitely fun. It was just tough, for sure, like, making sure that I invested the same amount of time and zest in school as I did in the daytime. But once you get past, I guess, your first year – you can start taking more of your electives and more of um, uh, more of the entertainment classes. So mm-hmm. it was a lot easier to be like, oh, I'm doing a publishing agreement in the daytime, or I'm working on this co-pub agreement, and I would go to school and learn more about that. So mm-hmm. it was it worked out very well. I knew going into law school that I wanted law school to work for me, not me to work for law school. Yeah. What does that mean? For me, it meant like college, I kind of just agreed to do a major that I had no idea about. And I mean, it's cool now because I understand politics a little (laughs) bit better, but I didn't need to do that. I could have chosen a completely different major and still been able to get into law school.
2: So you graduate law school and then you have a lot of free time because you're no longer... Oh, I wish. no. No, I graduated um, December two
0: thousand eight, mm-hmm. finished my finals, like mid-December, I believe, and then immediately went into studying for the February 2009 bar. Mm-hmm. So um, it was the first time I had left that firm, <laughs> my boss, <laughs> for that long. And I so you, you went full time studying. Oh yeah, there's okay. no other way. Um, I know other people are able to do it. I just needed to bite the bullet, take the time off, and, and study my ass off. Mm. I would run in the morning. I would do a three-mile run because I heard that after like an hour or more, a little bit more after you exercise, your, your, your brain, brain is the most um, <laughs> absorbent. Mm. So I would do that and immediately work on multiple choice. Because that was, I knew, going to be, like, the hardest part for me. Mm-hmm. Writing, I think I can do very well. And I knew how to kind of, like, pick those issues. But the multiple choice really tests you on, like, the nuances and,
2: like, the minutiae of law. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that working full-time and going into law school helped you to graduate with not as much Debt or at oh all. no, it didn't. No, oh. it's still expensive to go to law school, and there's
0: okay. not like a lot of grants or scholarships mm-hmm. per se. And I was, and I believe probably even less for night school because it's not the traditional route. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was lucky enough to be going to have a job and to go to law school. That was on me, and that mm-hmm. was something I decided to take on myself. Yeah, so
2: you take the exam did you have the confidence once you finished that you thought that you had passed Mm -hmm. I had my power outfit that I wore (laughs) and what Um, is this power
0: outfit it was these um coach boots Mm -hmm. and uh, jeans and like a sweatshirt that was very comfortable because as you know all test rooms are cold cold. Mm -hmm. and so I had already like decided and I think I before even knowing what like manifestation was I had been doing that kind of work with Mm -hmm. myself I'm like when I walk into the room, I'm going to answer these uh, these essay questions. I know as much as I need to know to pass. So, because again, you're taught in these programs. It's like you don't need to ace it. You, ne- you just need to get yes. enough to
2: pass. Yeah. So you take it in February, mm-hmm. and then you find out in April or May that April. you passed. Mm-hmm. Okay. What did you do once you passed? It was so funny
0: that day I had, I went back to work immediately after the bar. Is it, do you
2: get like an email or was it something in the mail? you have
0: a number that you visit the um, state bar website that you type in. If your name appears, you've passed. If it doesn't, you
2: haven't.
0: And at that point I had been, I lived with a roommate and she was also studying. So it was very nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. I decided to check at work with my boss Ugh. and my mom on speakerphone. Mm-hmm. And um, luckily I passed. <laughs> yeah. I was like, both of these women will probably kill me. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was very lucky. And I had a friend who came over and was there with me and we popped a bottle of champagne.
2: So. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay, so now you passed. Mm-hmm. You are certified as a lawyer and you, you remained at LaPont. Le- so how did your work changed once you became like officially a lawyer or did it
0: to the only the only thing that really changed was i was able to go and get my own clients and really concentrate on building that aspect of of my practice i still was her right hand person and dealing with like the admin and dealing with the top clients at our Mm -hmm. law firm so that didn't change it's just i added more
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. so how did you go about getting clients
0: um early on i was young and would go to shows late at night and really? stick around and if i liked a band i would approach them and talk to them um, especially um where i was looking for bands it's a much smaller community and mm-hmm. i had been around in that area so people knew who i was and what i was working on and The law firm at that point was also building its reputation, so it was was known to be a good law firm.
2: What types of skills or things does it take to be a good entertainment attorney? So, again, you can be a
0: transactional
2: or litigation
0: entertainment attorney. Mm -hmm. So I was a transactional attorney. And within entertainment, you have music or you have film and TV. Mm -hmm. And some people do one or the other. And very unique that I do both. And I think that the reason... Again, I had always been really inquisitive and while I had started to learn music so early on into my career, I was eager to learn something new. And one of the clients that I got early on, she um, I was brought on board to help her do her first comedy music album, but okay. she was also a famous actress. So mm-hmm. she eventually moved her TV and film work over to our firm and that's where I started to learn okay. work. And I had taken
2: film and TV classes in law school in preparation for that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you knew that you wanted to do both. Yes. What are the things that are similar and different being a TV lawyer and a music lawyer? So music is very
0: much driven by the copyright act and you have to kind of know the nuances of Mm -hmm. the difference between a master recording and a music composition and what a musical composition is composed of the melody and the lyrics. And then in film and TV, it's a completely different game where you're working with executive producer agreements or producer agreements or you're doing life rights agreements. So it's different Mm -hmm. copyright issues. But um, I believe music, in my opinion, is more nuanced with the Copyright Act and specifically like mechanical royalties and things that some you'll see some film and TV lawyers won't know how to clear music because they're like, I just don't do that. That's like a music Mm -hmm. how do you keep knowledgeable? What you do keep up with now that you have to do is to understand digital and streaming record uh, record royalties, understanding what that means in record deals, and publishing deals. So that's the side that you have to keep up with a
2: lot more now. Like when you're looking at agreements, do you find that a lot of people just don't know that stuff and you're having to educate them, or are you finding that people are just trying to see what they can get <laughs> it get could over. Be both.
0: Yeah. And it de- definitely our industry is run by your leverage. So, um, in some cases my my job is spent a lot more educating clients and understanding, hey, this is what you're signing. I got lucky that I was taught to be a deal maker not a deal breaker. What's the difference between those two? So, in my opinion, a deal maker will take a look at the agreement as a whole. And look at the clauses that will make a difference in your pocket or in your career. Like, mm-hmm. make So if you're signing a record deal, our goal is to try and get the label to try and commit to a certain amount of record albums. A deal breaker would go look at the choice of law and complain about that provision when it's like, well, is it really going to matter if my album is shelved and I never go anywhere?
2: Mm. How did... Do- you learn
0: to be more of a deal maker? Well, like I said, my boss was very much my mentor. And the way that she sort of taught me was I was involved in all her phone calls with anybody who she was negotiating with. Mm-hmm. She would call me in and she'd deal with it, go through all the deal points. Um, I would take notes and then I'd go back and draft it okay. and then take it back to her. So I feel like. I don't know if that happens very often. I know that people who work at corporate law firms have a way different training than mm-hmm. that. But I think that taught me well how to focus on the deal points that matter, how to listen to the other person's
2: needs and find the common ground. You stay at LaPoultre and then you started your own firm. What made you decide to do that and how was that process? Because you were with Uh, for a long time for 11 years years. wow yeah
0: Um, I will say that I had never planned to have my own law firm I never planned to be an entrepreneur I had achieved what my mom had wanted which was to go to college go to law school get a career and I did that now as I kind of look back I understand myself more in my personality I need to either be intellectually stimulated or there has to be some form of social good to what I'm doing as you can tell, entertainment is a very <laughs> fickle world, yeah. and um, not to say this in a in a manner to like demean other people who do it, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't spend my time making rich people richer. Mm. Um, I definitely felt that my my sort of skill set was kind of developing acts at that point, and because I had built a stable of my own clients, they were get, they were on the rise, and I needed time to develop my personal style. On, on my own, um, working at that law firm, because I had been there for so long, people counted on me for everything, or just would ask me questions, like, what kind of coffee do we need to order, and I'm like, that's, <laughs> yeah, so I knew that at some point in my life, I needed to draw the line where it was, I was just Heidi Vaccarano, versus Heidi Vaccarano from La Polt Law, mm. and that was a big thing for me, I needed to develop my own style, and I decided in April 2013, I would just come back from a group trip with my friends. and Where'd you go? Ireland. Oh. Yeah. We had won um, a Groupon contest called Grouponicus. What? <laughs> yeah. Which was hilarious. And we took this trip to Ireland for like a week and a half. And it was all oh. I could think about. And I knew in my heart that it was the best way for me to continue growing. Mm-hmm. And most people have a five year plan or have a, <laughs> have
2: mm-hmm. a
0: knowledge of where they're going to go. But I literally I had come back and because I had gone from being at South by Southwest and going into the trip, a lot of my work had been passed on to the okay. other associates. So it was an easier time to, to say, I'm, I'm, I need some time. So, and I ended up
2: working out of my friend's loft, who I went to college with. So you said that you wanted to discover who you were, Mm -hmm. and then you wanted also to do more social good. What did that mean to you at that time? So
0: when I left, I definitely wanted to develop my own style. I was very cognizant that someone else's name is on Mm -hmm. the door, and I didn't want to risk that. And I felt like the only way to do that was to go out on my own. Um, that was the first step into kind of realizing that for me becoming a whole as a lawyer like now I can start a job I can represent people from top to bottom I'm bringing in my own clients have been very lucky that I've never had to do any um, like traditional marketing or PR like it's really just word of mouth and colleagues and clients referring people to me so very grateful for that and then as I've continued to Um, move more into the tech space, that's Mm -hmm. when I found Girls in Tech and some of the Latinos in Tech organizations that I've been helping out with. How did you find them? So that's actually um, more recent, especially since I spent all of September um, working on three different hackathons. Mm -hmm. I think that what I really see as my skill is helping bring together people and organizing programming and events to help educate and empower people of color and technology which is something that I didn't get to do in entertainment I had gotten that job so early on and once you get into entertainment you're in and you have to you fight every day to stay in so I never did any networking from that sense now I kind of look back and I'm like oh I wonder if there were any Latino organizations or blacks in entertainment like Mm -hmm. I just didn't see any it had these blinders on, so now I feel like my eyes are opening to that, and I really love that aspect. I think that I've discovered more and more that that's what completes, like yeah. my my sort of um, needs. Mm-hmm. So it's been great to work in three separate occasions with three different sets of people to put together events and see the outcomes, which are amazing, and to see that what kind of difference you can bring.
2: So what were those three events that you did recently? So the first one that I did
0: was the UndocuMedia hackathon called UndocuHacks, and that was the first um, undocumented immigrant youth-led hackathon in the U.S., Mm. and um, it's put on by this organization, UndocuMedia, which is a nonprofit immigrant rights organization, and we worked with Forward U.S., with the USC Dream Resource Center, and a couple other organizations, to put together um, a 24-hour hackathon, they were broken up into different the- into different teams, and their um, call for action or their project that they were working on was the intersection of immigration, crime, and health.
2: Okay, um, so that was one. That's, okay. that's one. Media. Yeah. What was the
0: second? So about less than a week later, <laughs> yeah. um, Girls in Tech, which is the organization that I'm the managing director for the LA chapter, we had our hack for humanity. Hackathon. And that is a global project that we're doing. And it is tackling uh, global challenges facing women in technology. Mm -hmm. And so we teamed up with four separate nonprofit organizations in LA. And um, our call for action was um, each organization would come and um, talk a little bit about themselves, what it was they were facing, whether it was infrastructure. Well, my favorite one was the Raw Science Foundation. They um, have a potato mesh Wi-Fi system in a third world country. And so they needed, they wanted the participants Like eating potato? Yeah. You can make um, this system. Don't ask me but that's the one thing (laughs) that I don't. But um, yeah, it's made out of potato mesh. As you can tell, it's like a different speed of Wi-Fi. So they wanted the participants to create a billing system that would run on this potato mesh Wi-Fi.
2: I have so many questions about the potato mission. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to read because I'm like, yeah. how does that? How yeah. does someone even discover that? Well, yeah, that they do work. a lot of work. I think she
0: does work with Purdue University, mm-hmm. and so her students usually go out and they build that system. And so we brought them into the hackathon because it was like such a great um, example of things that we could help work on in like a hackathon
2: environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did you? Before we go into the third. Mm -hmm. thing that you recently did. How did you become the managing director of Girls in Tech? So I
0: give a lot of credit to the board. Um, Well, I started to volunteer last summer, and they had their first event on Snapchat, which was like sold out. I think I tried to go to it, and that was too late. Yeah, so... I was like, oh, that's like a great opportunity, and they ended up sending out a survey and like, hey, if you want to volunteer, um, um, we're going to be meeting a couple weeks from now. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, why not? This is like a good way to dive deeper into the tech space, and again, that was like one of the first things that I felt very imposter syndrome com- mm-hmm. core. Like I'd come from entertainment, a whole different world. And I was thinking, I'm like, how am I going to mesh these two worlds? How how like do I
2: start all over with relationships? Do I my I, where am I going to fit in? So you started volunteering at Girls in Tech. Mm-hmm. So how did that go from volunteering to like, hey, you're right. The managing so director. We had our first
0: event, which was
2: um, so we're in
0: we were in the process of relaunching. We had our first event post Snapchat a, a co working day. I went there. Yeah, a co working because I live near there. Oh no way! Okay, yeah. perfect. So. That was my first kind of um, segue into planning and working with the team. And um, I was assigned to helping find food, (laughs) and I reached out to a woman who had – been at um a panel that i had done at at silicon beach fest mm-hmm. and that so that's like kind of like entertainment and tech and I was like well that's somebody i know and she had a food startup of like all healthy food delivery yeah the food was good yeah <laughs> and so i'm like and it worked like literally my first email out worked and i was like well that's a sign oh. so i felt very i felt like all right i'm making progress and so that was a really great way to see that come together and have um I, again, like I've always been a nerd and I love like organizing things and making people happy and creating things that like make their life easier. Mm-hmm. So after that, um, I talked to the board and the managing director at that time was looking for someone to help her. So I started off as the co-managing director and then came on board. Um, cause she also has her own business. So she was overwhelmed with a little of that stuff. So I mm-hmm. came on board to do a lot um, more this probably like spring or so. Okay.
2: So what does a managing director at Girls in Tech do? So we're um, the lead for our chapters,
0: and we do a lot of communication with our headquarters in San Francisco. We're in charge of, like, seeing our programming through. So, for example, we had um, Hack for Humanity, which each of our chapters is doing. So we're in charge of doing the phone calls, doing the main organized, being the liaison with headquarters and any of our partners.
2: And so is Girls in Tech, is it for... Like, it's not for young girls. No. What What is the mission of Girls in Tech?
0: It's to educate, engage, and empower women in technology. Okay. When it started, um, it started 10 years ago, and um, the founder, um, I've read from, like, our, our chapter documents that she wanted to use the name Girls in Tech to keep kind of, like, the lively girl in us mm-hmm. in that name. I know now that it's people kind of frown upon that and like prefer women to be called women. (laughs) Um, But I really do feel that um, our organization definitely still encompasses those professional fields and and needs that women need. Okay.
2: You did the hackathon, Mm -hmm. Hack for Humanity? Yes. Okay. And then there was a third (laughs) one that you did. So um, before an entertainment
0: I would go to parties or mixers or whatever, and it was very, like, clicky. Like, people are amongst themselves. And when I would go to tech conferences, I would walk in and immediately make a new friend because mm-hmm. everyone, like, wants to collaborate. So I felt safe, I would say. And I had joined these um, two Latinos in tech organizations called Tequeria and Tectinos. And um, Tequeria is a meetup group, um, and they have, like, pretty much, like, monthly or every other month events at different startups as well so it's kind of like what we do for girls in tech but for latinos in tech and um they had been brought on board by the caper center to help with startup weekend latinx which was going to be a five-city effort
2: Ah, okay Okay.
0: and so it's going to be la oakland miami chicago and new york okay but um, due to the Hurricane Miami, it postponed until later this month. So Startup Weekend is a Techstars-branded uh, okay. event. And it's 54 hours that you spend working on a completely new project with a team. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of honing in your skills, whether you're an engineer, UX, or, or sales, or, mar- or social media. Like, they build the teams there. You get to... Um, pitch on the first night you have one minute to pitch your idea and then people get to vote on what should be the top x amount of teams Uh, or projects
2: so you're like being involved in all of these organizations but then also you have your law firm right so how are you managing them (laughs) Oh, like, you, like, your your work same. being in law school and working in law yeah. I'm sure has served you well. Right.
0: I'm very lucky that I um hired my associate this past summer okay. so a lot of um work that um I started to train on the easier type things mm-hmm. and get being able to hand that off to him, take a quick peek, make sure everything's covered and then able to send it out. Um, but you know, you have to, these are all volunteer jobs, so you, I have to keep up with my regular work. I Mm -hmm. took phone calls during all of them. I, especially our girls in tech one was on a Thursday and Friday. So it's like, it's time you can put an out of office, but if your client needs you, Mm -hmm. you have to, you have to be there. And luckily the nature of hackathons is there is some downtime, so it wasn't too bad, but it is, um, a lot of work where you're, answering a ton of questions in the organization and being in charge of something. And also my job, my regular job is problem solving all day long. So it was, it was, it did get overwhelming. I probably will never do that again, but they were three very unique experiences that have showed me what I'm good at, what I love about tech and how I want to move forward. So what are the answers to those? i am definitely, need something to have a social good component to it, something that gives back and I need to be
2: intellectually stimulated. Okay. What, what were the s- sequence of events that made you realize you needed to hire an associate?
0: Actually, I would say that it was serendipitous. He had started working with me earlier in January and I had um, taken on some new clients who were working on these PSAs, animated PSAs, um, due to the election. And okay. And so, um, so he came on board to, referred by a client. He's like the best friend of one of my clients. Mm-hmm. And he had just graduated Loyola and was studying for the bar. So I brought him in, taught him how to do kind of like the basic work, and he worked out really well mm-hmm. and decided to stay on board um, well, for a couple days a week. Then he passed the bar in April, and said, like, oh my gosh, it's April. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm going to make this official, and I decided mm-hmm. to take all the necessary steps to get us on payroll, get workers' comp, do mm-hmm. all the things that you need to do as a That's business owner that when you're on your own, you're like, eh, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. but now I'm like, no, this guy is really worth it, he's really good at what he does, and if I'm able to train him Um, to learn kind of these smaller agreements, it means more time for me to kind of focus on either bringing
2: in more clients or doing my volunteer work. Mm, Okay. When you went from working and having, like, I guess, the stability of working in a law firm to doing your own thing, like how was that? Like, Um, I am so grateful for having been able
0: to have built my client base because when I left, I did take my clients with me, which is rare, but I had such a great relationship with my former boss and – They were all, like, indie rock clients. (laughs) It was, like, a different niche. So, you know, I the first couple years was really spent figuring out, like, what it is, how I'm going to work, how do I work, and how big am I going to grow this? Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to share an office for the first year. In 2014, I took on that job teaching at Cal State uh, LA.
2: Oh, yeah, we haven't even...
0: And so I discovered even more that how much I love that aspect of, it's one thing to know it in your head, Mm -hmm. how to practice. It's another to explain it to another human being and get them to understand it. (laughs) So that really helped boost my confidence in general. Mm -hmm. Like I had definitely come off of a law firm that came with its own uh, reputation and constantly being invited to conferences, to being on my own and having to rebuild that. And I wasn't ready yet to put myself out there. So that was the first step. I was referred by a colleague, again, who couldn't do the, the, the time frame. So I came on board and um, filled in for him. So that was a, it was such a boost in confidence. It was really one of the, the kind of defining chapters where I never saw myself as being a teacher yeah. and here I
2: am and you got to do it, and I got it done. Yeah. What skills did you have to develop in order to manage your own law firm? If someone wants to manage and go out on their own mm-hmm. and have a, their own practice, what would you tell them? Like, you need to have this stuff together. Right. Um, again, don't know
0: how people hang their shingle right out of law school um, because you don't I learn this stuff in that law school. Before. <laughs> yeah, and that's that finger- like, Yeah. Um, I, because I had started so early on in the law firm, I started as an intern, then was an admin assistant, then built my way to a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I did all of the back end admin side. So I knew um,
2: about malpractice.
0: Yeah. I knew about payroll. I knew about how to accommodate rent and that sort of stuff. Like that was what I was responsible. So that really came into play later mm-hmm. on, understanding that. I knew I was really good. My responsibilities early on were also feeling out clients who call. It's like, hey, I want to retain your services and hearing, okay, this is what you need. Well, this is what we charge here. So Mm -hmm. that was, I was very lucky that had been ingrained in me so early on. Mm -hmm. So I knew how to bill. I knew how much time things take.
2: And so it was easier when I went on my own. Okay. On the flip side, is there something that you would consider a flat side and a flat side is something that you have specifically chosen not to nurture but you think that it would help you in your current job well yes <laughs> <laughs> which is why so basically I have
0: no knowledge of like technical language mm-hmm. like people will say ruby and javascript and I'm like I know vaguely what it is mm-hmm. or other things but I have no idea what it is. So at the hackathons, I was definitely like, I'm like, wrong person to ask, but I will find you the person right. who can solve that. <laughs> so I do want to learn more about that, like the technical language for dummies part of uh-huh. it. Um, I've seen a lot of people um, have an engineer engineering degree, a law degree, and a business degree. And I'm like, whoa, that is a lot of stuff." <laughs> it is.
2: So in a... Perfect, like fully actualized practice. How do you see yourself serving the tech community with your law expertise?
0: I definitely see it being more my niche is being an affordable attorney that can um, provide you both business and legal advice. And I've been expanding my practice, like I said, more into the tech space, dealing with both software, firmware, licensing, not just the traditional work, which I've been doing, which is employment agreements, work Mm -hmm. for hires, consulting, stuff like that. So I see myself kind of
2: filling that circle completely with that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the next section I like to do is I call rapid fire. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to ask you questions and then just tell me the first thing that pops (laughs) into your mind. So when you need a boost of confidence, what do you do?
0: I go home to my family. Mm. There's nothing more than spending time with my niece, who's eight, and will be my boss one day. <laughs> just to have <laughs> she's fun. already yeah. showing those signs mm-hmm. and getting my home cooked meal. <laughs> it's it's it means so much to me, and i especially after having gone so so hard in
2: September. It's been nice to like go home in October. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of tech. What are five apps or services that you can't live without? If I told you you can only have five apps. Can they be all five food delivery apps? (laughs) If that's what it will be, then that's what it will be. um, I
0: guess I definitely can't live without Facebook Messenger. One of my best friends and I um, talk a lot on that. Uh, Definitely Amazon Prime. Like if Mm -hmm. I was on a deserted island, I had my five apps. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah um, I keep track of um, I use this app called Today to keep track of my habits okay um, my meditation app definitely which meditation app do you use um, Insight Timer okay yeah um, I have like my I've
2: been using that for years mm. and um, Instagram do you, okay With your meditation, do you meditate in the morning or do you take meditation breaks during the day? I meditate in the morning. Okay. Yeah. And I'll do it kind of um,
0: based on what I feel like waking Mm -hmm. up that morning. Like today, I did one that's called I Am Proud of All My Efforts and using that mantra throughout the day. Okay.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, very cool. Uh, Is there something that you do every day or several times per week that helps you focus and produce your best work?
0: Um, besides meditation, I feel like I've been better about managing my schedule. I have recently decided to say no. Okay. And really take the time to reassess how this year has gone for me, what I've liked, and that's how I came to the conclusions of what makes me happy, mm-hmm. and really see how that fe- how to shape the future that way. I'm very easily... I love to volunteer and do a lot of things, but I think I've been more able to
2: manage how involved I am in those. Yeah. I Same way. I remember there was one day I was walking around and I had the We Are LA Tech shirt mm-hmm. on. And so then there were like two guys that were in the area and they saw me like, oh, are you part of, we are LA Tech? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, what do you want to help out in our community? And they were telling about their community and it was really nothing I was interested in. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, yeah, because I love meeting people. My response instead of being like, sure. They'll be like, well, why don't you tell me more about it and then let me think about it. Like I need Mm -hmm. to, that needs to be my first response versus just like, Thinking about like, oh, well, yeah. you know, I'll probably meet some people that I don't know. So that'll mm-hmm. be cool. But then it's just like, you don't, you're not even yeah, interested exactly. in the topic.
0: Like, it, I, I can't be like the engineering group. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I, what, what am I, like, we have zero things in common. I don't even know what literal language you speak.
1: So,
2: yeah. This is like a CTO forum. I'm oh. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want you to pick an odd number between five and 135. Three. Three. Okay. Five and 135. Five and 135? Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 82. Okay.
0: Odd number. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Why do I keep doing that? Odd numbers? There's only odd numbers in this yes. list? And I've listened to, like, three of your podcasts, too. 127.
2: 127. Okay. So there's a book called Listography by Lisa Nola, and she her book is designed where you can Create your autobiography through list making. 127, the list you have to create is clubs and bars you frequented. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, when I was younger, the
0: short stop at the Echo, Spaceland.
2: I've heard of none of these. These are
0: all like music or okay. or bars um, in Echo Park or Silver mm. Lake. So. That was definitely my thing. Um, The cha-cha. Those were kind of like my haunts
2: back in the day. Where you found new talent. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, squad care. We talked a little bit about self-care before, but I like to talk about squad care. Mm -hmm. So, who do you turn to when you need help? Like, who's on your squad? So, I will always
0: have my best friend from high school, Mm -hmm. um, Ann Yoon. She is i i feel like all my text messages <laughs> like the entire thing it's always her um I will say that I'm so lucky that now, um, being at Cross Campus, I found even more like yourself and mm-hmm. Mickey and Audrey and a bunch of other women mm-hmm. who are here. Where it's just nice to have a laugh as we're walking through, mm-hmm. which I know maybe we don't share as deep of things, but we're at least there to like have a laugh during mm-hmm. the day as we're all like working hard on our stuff. Yeah. And then I have really great uh, friend who we she was um, I trained her to be a lawyer, so um, she's gone on on her own. as as well. Oh, very cool. So
2: it's I have a really tight group of friends that I still talk to and mm-hmm. a little karaoke. Um, so is there something that you geek out about that you're not embarrassed to admit that you love? I let go of my embarrassment of watching trashy TV. Ooh, what's your favorite trashy TV? Anything on Bravo.
0: <laughs> oh, and, and the entire love and hip hop franchise. Oh
2: gosh. I know the characters, but I haven't watched any of the shows, but mm-hmm. I feel like I know who some of them are. Oh, some of yeah. them I don't, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing wrong with liking Trashy TV. I had one
0: friend who, because I used to get Us Weekly too, mm-hmm. and she's like, why do you read that? You're in law school. Or I don't even know what how she said it, and I was like, I spend all day solving people's problems. I want to just turn off my brain at one
2: point. One of my favorite podcasts is this podcast called Who Weekly, mm. where they people literally call and they'll be like well I saw this person like on Instagram who is this person Mm -hmm. and so they take a lot of celebrities that who aren't them so Mm -hmm. like you know they don't talk about like George Clooney Mm -hmm. or LeBron James they'll talk about the who's of the entertainment industry and it's so funny they do a really good segment like one of their biggest who's is Rita Ora Mm. so they have like a segment at the end of every episode that is talking about what is she doing <laughs> so it's so getting? good and i learned about so many people in entertainment that aren't like a-listers mm-hmm. and like who these people are why are they famous they do a lot of funny things on like sponsor content especially on instagram where mm-hmm. people are it's it's so painful and funny how they're like doing an ad for something mm-hmm. like oh you just here, like having a good time, having a yogurt, and it's yeah. like this is so awful. But mm-hmm. I, it's I mean, one of my favorites. Well,
0: obviously, like Instagram models, people just to Instagram comedians.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, I love it. I, I can't wait to listen to it. Yes,
2: it is. Oh, it's so good. So, who are some possibility models in your life? So, this is women of color that inspire you and show you that it's possible to live your dreams.
0: I just finished reading Ellen Powell's book Reset Mm. and I consider her a possibility model because knowing how hard that lawsuit was, especially being a lawyer, I know exactly what it's like. So for her to keep going and still want to push that driving mission of diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. it's just, that gives me hope that Mm. I will find myself in that place one day as well.
2: Yeah. So if people want to find you online, where should they go? They can find me
0: on Twitter at Heidi V, H-E-I-D-Y-V,
2: and on Facebook at Heidi Vakarana. Okay. And I will put that in the show notes. So final question, the name of this podcast is How She Did It. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some career advice, what would you tell yourself?
0: Um, knowing how hiring and resumes and all that goes these days, I think I would have left a long time uh, earlier than I did. I was just comfortable. Mm -hmm. And, but again, I was still learning and, and like really getting my career set for that. But that no, I could have gone somewhere else to get like a different variation of that education. So I would just have told younger Heidi it's okay to go um, and figure other things out and like discover different ways of doing the same thing.
1: And that's the show. To hear my thoughts about the interview as well as get links to the things that we discussed in this episode, go to nts.today/8.